Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. So from fashion, beauty and homeware, myself, Grace Hill, will be chatting to leading experts in the industry to shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. I'm really excited for today's episode. We'll be talking to a fashion psychologist and discussing how fashion psychology can inform future trends for retailers, also offering insight into the current consumer mindset and how brands can navigate the post-pandemic era. So on today's podcast, we have Shakela Forbes-Bell, a published fashion psychologist, consultant, and experienced marketer. And she is also the founder of Fashion is Psychology, a platform dedicated to making academic research into fashion psychology more accessible. Her work investigating the impact of racial diversity in fashion media has been published in the International Journal of Market Research. She has worked with global fashion brands like Next, Sainsbury's and Afterpay to help consumers understand the psychological significance of their clothing and beauty choices. Welcome, Shakela. We're thrilled to have you on Unedited. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much, Grace, for having me. I'm really happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you. Just before we were chatting about England's win in the uh, Euros. <laughs> but how, how has your week been going otherwise? Yeah, it's been good. Just like super busy. And of course, yeah, like I mentioned, watching the England game, there seems to be a lot of energy right now in the workplace. But yeah, I think I've been really good just working on a lot of different exciting projects. So yeah, I'm really happy. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And I feel like this is such an interesting, exciting topic and something we've not really discussed on the podcast before. But to kind of get started, it'd be great if you could tell our listeners a bit more about what fashion psychology is and what really led you into this space? Yeah, so really, I started studying psychology at university, and I was just always interested in the social aspect of psychology. I was interested in impression formation, how people can navigate different environments, how people interact with different people, and how different things like perception can just change the way that you interact with someone, the way you think about someone, even the way you think about yourself. And um, whilst I was studying psychology at university, the whole Trayvon Martin situation happened. And, you know, there was the whole uproar about it. There was the Million Man Hoodie March in response. And, you know, there was so much talk about young Black men being criminalised and villainized just because of the way they look and like wearing hoodies and being deemed to be intimidating. And then, of course, at the same time, you had the streetwear market, which was really booming alongside. And you have all of these tech CEOs, like these 30-year-old, like white guys wearing yeah. hoodies, but then they're seen as, you know, like pillars of their community. And when a hoodie is on another body, it's just seen as like almost threatening. So I really wanted to investigate mm-hmm. the intersection between clothing and race and perception. And I just found it so fascinating. And I just really wanted to take my research further. So I went on to study my master's and look into more into multicultural marketing and fashion media and how it impacts consumer behavior. And, you know, my research that you mentioned earlier, it kind of empirically proved that 
you know, black models do sell and, you know, consumer behavior is dictated a lot by how people see themselves reflected in media. So obviously proving that, you know, diversity and inclusivity, it's not only good for the self-concept of consumers, it's also good for like economically, it just makes more sense. So it doesn't really make sense why brands have been so limited in this space. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to explore this more. And I just found, whilst I was doing my research, I found so many interesting things like theories about how different clothing types can really impact the your mood and, you know, how you think about yourselves and how you act and it impacts your cognition. Looking into how brands use a lot of psychological tips and tricks to encourage consumers to buy and um, mm-hmm. how different shopping experiences can make people feel differently. And really, I realised that fashion psychology is such a vast space and it really kind of looks into various different principles and theories and explanations for why we consume and style and dress ourselves in the way that we do. And, you know, I'm a huge advocate for like fashion and style. It's something that has been super interesting to me for a very long time. And when I realized that I can combine my two kind of passions, fashion and psychology, I just wanted to pursue that further. But I wanted to make this research more accessible to people Mm -hmm. and have it bound behind you know the lines of academia which can be somewhat limiting and not really accessible to the lay person so that's why I created fashion psychology and since then I've been able to work with so many amazing brands and journalists and on different projects so yeah it's been really great so far Oh my gosh, I feel like it's so interesting. And as you said, even just in that explanation, there's so many areas, like the concept of kind of perception and how you perceive someone based on their dress. But then there's also the other element on like personally how you feel based on what you're wearing. I feel like it's that kind of obvious thing, right? You know, when you dress up and you look good, you feel good. And what's the impact of that on your confidence and how you kind of engage in a situation? One of the first questions I want to ask you was this kind of concept of nature versus nurture and how does that impact your style? Because I come from a family where my mom is obsessed with clothes and what she wears and I feel like maybe I've had like obviously inherited that because I've been around that but then I have friends of mine who you know they evidently haven't grown up in a you know in a household where kind of much emphasis or importance has been put on style and fashion choices so I'm quick to kind of assume certain things but I'd love to know from you being an expert in your field how do you think people develop their style? Yeah I think it is of course as is anything it's a little bit of both But I think in terms of which one comes first, I definitely would say it starts off with a bit more of the nurture aspect. So as you mentioned, so like your family, the people around you, like I think as you grow in your personal style, your external environment, like your friends, your family, the culture that you're exposed to, your media, it does play a big part in the styles that you're drawn to. And your innate desire to belong, which is particularly strong when we are, you know, in our adolescence, um, when we're trying Mm -hmm. to find ourselves, it does cause you to absorb the styles that you're exposed to in your immediate social groups. So definitely, I think when you're younger, nurture has a bit more of a role to play. But then when you get older and you develop more of your self-concept, so the image that you have of yourself, your chosen identity, your beliefs, all of that has a bit more impact on your purchase decisions and your style. So it's dictated a little more by nature in that respect. So it's a bit of both, but I think, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of an order that comes into play. 
I guess that's really interesting, right? When you're looking at based on different demographics and, you know, for retailers, who's their target consumer and kind of how do they develop their style? And like, actually that, as you said, that innate, you know, wanting to kind of belong and be part of the group. Mm. So I guess how can you use fashion psychology to kind of understand consumer behavior and how have you seen retailers apply your work? Yeah, so when I'm kind of analysing consumer behaviour, I make linkages between a host of psychological factors. So factors and theories and studies that essentially uncover the why behind the what. So, mm-hmm. for example, I know many people think of clothing can be maybe some sort of a mindless activity that is exclusively driven by trends and the need to fulfil some sort of aesthetic value. But yeah. through my work um, with brands and through utilising fashion psychology, I'm able to help them get a better understanding of how certain attitudes, certain systems of beliefs, external stimuli, perceptions, sociological factors, political factors happen in a moment, how all of that kind of culminates to encourage someone to buy something or to feel a particular way in an outfit. So it's really about uncovering all of the different factors that are at play to basically encourage someone to act in a specific way. Amazing. And have you got kind of any examples of how, you know, you have worked with global brands and and kind of how they've used your your work? Yeah. So, um, for example, I'm currently the in-house consumer fashion psychologist for Afterpay. So I worked with them on their global trend report. And what they just get is a, a host of insights from their Gen Z and millennial consumers. Yeah. And we just looked at like things that were really popular amongst them. Like, for example, we found that like things like jewelry were super popular, accessories. And basically I looked at that, that data there. And then I looked at previous studies and things that were happening in, you know, past pandemics to look at you know how does mm-hmm. um patients like this how does it, that impact consumer behavior and i found some interesting research that looked into how people can become a lot more utilitarian when things are going like quite difficult when there's a bit of like turmoil mm. in their sociological like environmental situations but then of course you have things like the lipstick effect that was found when you know there's a bit of an economic downturn people really look at the smaller luxuries in order to give themselves a boost so it shows that you know people kind of use their purchase decisions to impact their mood and I think we're seeing the similar things with this increase in jewelry and quite quirky jewelry like nostalgia in jewelry as well I think people are using those purchases to really get into that kind of dopamine dressing trend whereas it's not really possible to really go out and have a lot of creativity with your full outfit because we're still not kind of out of the pandemic yet but a way to have a bit of fun and creativity can be through your like your smaller accessories which is a bit more easy to kind of slip into whilst you're still kind of hybrid working or still working from home. Definitely I feel like all the amazing kind of like colored resin jewelry and things like that that we're seeing at the moment is you can't kind of hide from that trend (laughs) now the kind of the cycle of trends can emerge from anything and anywhere just the kind of popular culture influences but what do you think are the biggest influences kind of impacting the way people shop and buy now No, I think if you look purely at the data, you know, we are seeing a sharp rise in e-commerce usage and obviously a sharp rise in social media Uh usage. 
particularly in the last year. So I think it's easy to say that our digital communities are having some of the biggest influences on the way people shop and what they buy. So when I say digital communities, I don't really mean that, you know, that one influencer that you follow that has the nice OTDs, you know, I'm talking about the entire digital communities that we're all a part of, you know, things that are helping to shape the cultural zeitgeist, which has impacts both consciously and subconsciously on the things and the styles that we're drawn to. So, you know, like with street style inspiration and one way, it's it's always a bit of a chicken and an egg, but I think mm-hmm. now more than ever, we are seeing fashion trickle up. And I think our digital communities are providing the biggest source of inspiration. I think one great example I have of that is Burberry's, The Art of the Trench. So that was a campaign that invited like a mix of image makers and just regular fashion enthusiasts to showcase the way that they were styling their Burberry coats. And I think it, it did really well. I think that perfectly encapsulates the way that, you know, people are desiring brands to kind of be dictated by the people for the people. But having said that, there is, of course, no substitute for, you know, the amazing talented designers, curators and fashion historians who really do help shine the light and shape the current trends of the moment. So would it be difficult to answer the question of like, what's the ratio breakdown of kind of like street and runway? (laughs) I think right now, just because everyone is so hyper online and I think you can kind of see Uh a tangible link between things that are like bubbling online and digital and the inspiration that designers are showcasing on the runway. I would say it might be a bit 60-40. Yeah. so yeah, so more like, yeah, bubbling up than trickling down at the moment. I feel like as well, we're hearing so much from our customer base about kind of the impact of TikTok trends as well. And like that being a digital community and kind of like how that kind of like cottage core trend emerged. And now we've got the whole like coconut girl or like wearing kind of like the 90s Roxy, like tropical things, which is giving me a little bit of you know, PTSD from my childhood <laughs> dressing. But <laughs> no, it's definitely as we are very much digitally native as well these days. It's really interesting. But I guess with more individualism expressed through clothes, how hard is it for retailers to really kind of, retailers and brands, I guess, get it right with their customer? And like, how can they hit that balance between offering kind of trend-driven clothing, but then there's also the kind of worry of dead stock and preventing that too? Yeah, I know. I think there's been a lot of discussion about how it might be particularly hard for brands and retailers like to get a deeper understanding. But I just think there needs to be more of a focus on, you know, their consumer base, who they're designing for. You know, there's a principle in psychology called design thinking, and it's all about making sure that you're the user, the end user is kind of the main focus when you are creating anything. So thinking about their desires, their motivations, what gets them excited, who's aspiring them. And that's where like psychology, data, insights, research, that's where that comes in. And I think for far too long, like these crucial elements have been ignored and brands have been trying to just sell to their audience rather than tap into their communities. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of solutions that brands can do to, you know, prevent that kind of dead stock waste that you mm-hmm. mentioned. So I think one of them is they, they can offer improved recommendations. So things like analytics, insights to really understand what consumers are buying, what will truly speak to their personal tastes. And that way they'll be able to create collections that their audience are going to truly like resonate with and ones that will last beyond like a trend cycle, ones that they will keep for a longer time. 
Another option is to offer maybe more customization options. I think giving people more creative ownership of something, it has been shown to foster an increased interest in the item and maintain some level of attachment to that as well. So I think that way it will help people to feel that they're being a part of a trend and fulfill that need for belonging, which they have, but also maintain some of some level of differentiation and help them to still Mm. be unique as well. And finally, I do think the made to order model, I think that's obviously a great way just just logically to prevent dead stock waste. And I do think that really combats that need for instant gratification that we're all really battling against right now when you know the general mood is so low because of the pandemic you want things now you're buying it now but I think that the need to like wait for something you really have to truly value it if you're willing to wait three to four months for something so in that sense like you will value it more and you'll resonate with it a bit better in the sense the brands can win too because obviously they are only creating based on demand. Yeah. I love that concept of, of made to order. And I feel like the problem is, right? And I don't feel like in fashion, it's something that's really been kind of maximized or really investigated, especially below, I guess, that kind of couture, super luxury segment. In fashion, I think Telfar as well, they're doing a great job of that. You know, the whole concept of like, not for you, for everyone. I think that's great. And they yeah. are doing the major order model. I ordered a bag in March and I'm still waiting for oh it. And it almost, feels, it almost feels a bit like Christmas. Like I'm like, if I'm having a bad day, I'm like, okay, the bag's coming soon. <laughs> like you have something good is coming. <laughs> and it does, it feels good to know that you know, something is, is special. And it's, yeah, it, it's something that I'm, going to really cherish I know because I've been need to wait for it yes good things come to those away right and it's like (laughs) but I guess one thing I found and a lot of my friends have found quite entertaining is when we're you know at the moment we're seeing you know the Gen Z's obsession with 90s and seeing kind of how they're styling the types of clothing that I would have maybe worn as like a preteen and a teen and kind of their interpretation of it and I guess there's kind of we're finding it like across full 2021 runways as well we went back into a bit of a time warp where we saw a melting pot of trends whether that's from the 70s 80s 90s or noughties so from a kind of fashion psychology perspective, what makes it so appealing to keep revisiting past decades and eras of fashion? Yeah, I think one of the main reasons it's so appealing to revisit these past decades, I think it's because of the positive impact of nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot of early research into nostalgia and it actually previously identified it as a negative experience due to its association with negative psychological states. Mm-hmm. So for example, one study researchers were looking into inducing high levels of loneliness in their participants and they found that when participants were feeling extremely lonely, there was high possibility of them engaging in more nostalgic thinking. But now we realize that the reason that they engage in this nostalgic thinking is due to the positive benefits of it. So to combat that feeling of loneliness, to combat those, you know, negative feelings. And so now we know that nostalgia, it, it can protect people, it can foster good mental health. And after engaging in nostalgia inducing activities, like people have been shown to experience high levels of self-esteem, to feel more optimism and to even like feel less lonely to feel more socially connected and even they can feel like physically more warm when they engage in nostalgic thinking so I think when you consider all of these endless positive impacts of nostalgia it's understandable why creatives and fashion designers they always look back in order to go forward 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because like that concept of nostalgia and the positive impact of that. But I guess in some cases, people are kind of drawn to eras or dressing, like, for example, the Gen Zs in this 90s way, but they may may never have actually existed or weren't actually alive during that time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's quite interesting, right? Because surely they don't have like true nostalgia because they didn't live in that moment. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was speaking to some university students as well not too long ago, and yeah. they were looking into this concept of borrowed nostalgia. So, ah. like actually being drawn to the areas where you're maybe your parents or your older siblings yeah. are from, but you're not necessarily from. And yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more research in that. In that, but I do think it's the same kind of thinking where everything that's from the past is kind of a lot more rosy. People really are looking towards past decades to get that like, yeah, that level of comfort and a level of happiness and optimism where it's not really existing right now. Mm-hmm. I make sense. Like I'm really drawn to like the um, 70s kind of florals at the moment like and other stories just launched their dresses with prints that I've seen kind of other brands like Faithful and Triangle have done a lot of bikinis in it but just those kind of browns and yellows and oranges I don't know why but I'm just feeling this like I guess it represents quite a happy time, right? And like, and the movements that happened in that time around peace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but that was also obviously in those decades, it had their own challenges. Yeah. But, um, we we tend to just pick on the good things when we're always looking true. back. I think that that's true with anything, even in our lives. Like, you know, we just look at the highlight reels. But yeah, so I think <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we look back and we think that these decades were just the bee's knees. Um, and like, right, <laughs> especially right now when it's just, we don't know what, going on but it just everything back then will always look better to us it'll be interesting how people will reflect on this era in the future (laughs) I guess there's been so much focus on tapping into Gen Z again I mentioned it earlier a lot of our customers really you know brands and retailers really want to understand this demographic it seems kind of they want to go after that group there seems like there's huge opportunity there But it seems like millennials and boomers have fallen off the radar for some brands. And like, have you seen an impact on the psyches of these groups to particular brands? You know, and and how does a retailer, I guess, ensure that they're not alienating specific age demographics? It's interesting because I think the pandemic is one of the first times in like recent histories where we've seen huge shifts that have affected multiple generations Mm -hmm. in very similar ways so you know we've all had to work from home we've all bought more loungewear we've all spent more time online we've all binge watching Bridgerton like we're all like (laughs) kind of doing the same things and I remember I was on a panel I think it was last year with a woman by the name of Jane Evans and she founded this project on invisibility and it aimed to raise the profile of women aged over 50 and we were talking we were discussing our passions for clothing Mm -hmm. and personal style and we were really singing from the same hymn sheet like we were quite similar in our interests and our desires and I think retailers really need to take stock of these demographics who actually have the most disposable income and have the same passions and interests and they good and as we do you know everybody wants to look good and feel good so you know retailers need to consider including them in their campaigns understanding a bit more of what they want and understanding that you know that desire to engage in dopamine just the desire to yeah want to showcase 
showcase your best self and put your best foot forward and you know showcase your personal likes and feelings through your style is kind of resonates through all generations yeah I think that's really interesting that you say like you know all all demographics and ages have kind of been engaging in the same things over the past year and 18 months and want the same things at the end of the day and yes those Gen Z's probably don't have the most disposable income one of my favorite acronyms is we did a report at Edited on like who is Carly and obviously standing for like can't afford real life yet and obviously <laughs> that's a lot of Gen Z's so yeah no I definitely think it's interesting that and I think I've seen quite you know a number of fast fashion or mass market retailers have engaged in having more mature models in their campaigns, which I think is an interesting departure from maybe where it has been historically, where everyone's had to be kind of teens and 20s to kind of sell their product. We also hear so much about the conscious consumer and a demand for more sustainable and ethical clothing. Mm -hmm. However, kind of fast fashion is still very much alive and kicking so will this attitude to buy from responsible brands only get stronger with very little actual movement by the consumer? Yeah, I think we're seeing like a real almost crisis of conscience at the moment yeah. because, yeah, there's obviously these two strong motivations on kind of both sides. So I think if we first we look at like people's interest in sustainability, so, you know, studies have shown that in times of crisis, people have looked for increased simplification of demand. So people really evaluate the impact of their consumer behavior on wider society. So they're looking at all of the excessive consumption, all of the clothes that they have that they actually are not wearing. And they're looking at it and thinking, well, this doesn't necessarily fit in with my taste. There's a lot more education about sustainability that's happening online that people are really like grappling with. And I feel like these ideals have shown to persist previously post different crises and I think this suggests that what we are going to see in the near future is that people are going to be investing a bit more in sustainable practices and engaging more with sustainable mm-hmm. content however at the same time the pandemic has caused like a drastic decline in you know general mental well-being so that does make it easier for people to seek instant gratification through things mm-hmm. like fashion purchases so I know I read a study that said something like 50 percent of young Brits admitting to buying more new clothes in 2020 than in 2019 but then at the same time young Brits and like Gen Z and like young millennials are super invested and passionate about sustainability but again they're combating kind of this neurological basis for things like shoppers high and you know research has shown that there's a rush of like feel-good hormones and dopamine when we do purchase something shiny and new mm. so it's really tricky but we're in unprecedented times and I think such times they result in complex behavioral patterns so you know the desire to be more sustainable is coinciding with the desire to fill that void with your clothing purchases so although I think fast fashion has been pretty resilient I do think that the rising interest in sustainability and sustainable fashion is poised to shake its foundation a little bit definitely yeah, I, it was interesting. We were reading some an article that was talking about looking at the APAC region and actually how Gen Zs and whether they're willing to pay more for sustainable clothing options. And that actually, interestingly, the only country within that APAC region was Australia that were those Gen Zs that were willing to pay more for sustainable product options, which I guess 
it's interesting then to think about, okay, so why is it that they would versus other regions? But Yeah, yeah. I think with sustainability, it's it's really tricky because, yeah, you have these people that they do want to be more sustainable. Mm. Something that people really want to showcase their value systems through like what they buy and consume. But yeah. at the same time, it's just easier. And it's just like something that we've all become accustomed to with fast fashion. And it's become this yeah. huge, like monolith, like giant at the moment. So what I kind of advocate more is, is more for utilizing the clothes that you already own and engaging yeah. in more mindful shopping practices. So if you are buying something, say it's from maybe a fast fashion brand, if you're buying, make more conscious decision about, okay, is this something I really like? Is this something I will take the time to maintain and take mm-hmm. care of it? Is it something that I will tailor or customize if I need it to fit me a bit better? Does it fit into what I already own? Is it something meaningful to me? And if you engage in all of those thinkings and processes before you actually buy something, then, you know, you're more likely to keep that for longer. You're less likely to give it away or throw it away. And then in a sense, your kind of environmental footprint or carbon footprint, it will be, it will be lesser. So yeah, it's all about like making sure that people engage in those processes before they shop and gaining a high level of attachment to the things that they own and really honing in their personal sense of style and their beliefs so that they're not just buying, 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 and then end up saying they have nothing to wear. Yeah. I feel like those are amazing tips. (laughs) I feel like when I go to the shops later, I need to be like, okay, what is it that I truly need and I'm going to value? It's like that concept of like, don't go food shopping when you're hungry. Like actually know what you're going. (laughs) It's the same thing. Yeah. Just take your time. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was walking down Bond Street the other day and I couldn't believe it really when I was looking at I walked past the Victoria's Secrets flagship in the UK and noticed a model in the kind of campaign that was a huge departure from where they have been previously. So obviously they recently announced that they're moving away from their claim to fame angels and they're now marketing sexy for all with more, you know, women moving into the comfort movement. And we've noticed within edited data that push-up bras have, you know, significantly downtrended over the past two years. However, interestingly, we've also seen mentions of sexy being up 30% in the first three months of 2021. So from your perspective, does sex sell in fashion anymore? And is this idea of an aspirational look, you know, have we seen that move on? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like one of our writers, Jana Pariani on fashionistpsychology.com, she really explored this yeah. in a recent blog post. And she was talking about a recent study and it was like, investigating the sexualization of advertising, especially in like fashion media. And it actually found that women expressed higher negative emotions when they were uh, reacting to both male and female instances of sexualized ads. And men reportedly showed indifferent emotions to female sexualized ads, but they showed negative ones to sexualized ads of males. And I think that kind of sums up the kind of feeling that, you know, sex for sex sake doesn't really sell anymore. It's kind of fallen out of popularity. I think one, because we've become a bit desensitized to it. And I think two, people have re-envisioned what it means to be sexy as well. They want more intimacy, more storytelling. I think sexy right now is being like, 
super authentic to yourself, being Mm -hmm. confident in the skin you're in and having that kind of culturally relevant like imagery, like I think owning what you identify as being sexy. I think that kind of power, that kind of control, that sense of pride, I think that's what people are craving at the moment. That's that kind of intimacy that they want. And I think that will be more powerful than what we've traditionally seen as, you know, like the kind of Tom Ford or like Mark those kind of like over-sexualized ads. Yeah, yeah. They lost their shock value now. I think, yeah, we've seen it, we've done it. Now we want a, a higher kind of level of sexiness. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I know Soup Supply recently did a very like highly sexualized ad, but then, you know, campaign, but they also did kind of same sex couples as well as heterosexual couples. So yeah, I'd be interested to know how that performed for them based on kind of current consumer mindset. Following the events of last year, the fashion industry experienced a diversity awakening, including a boom in the gender fluid market. Our platform found actually that genderless products have spiked at mainstream retailers by 56% year over year. How have you found that gender stereotypes have evolved in fashion and kind of what is the future based on the current consumer mindset? Yeah, I think in the same way we were talking about, you know, a different type of sexiness being popular right now, I think the same thing. So like non-conformist fashion is really going mainstream. And I think consumers are really relishing any opportunities to celebrate their identity through their clothing and their brand purchases. And I think these genderless products are really making that easier. And Mm. of course, when you make something easier, you're going to have increased satisfaction. So I feel like this appetite will continue and people will become increasingly emboldened as a way to like, you know, express their authentic selves. And they'll be looking for brands that really kind of get it and ones that they can align their personal beliefs and their identity with. So, yeah, I think this we're just going to see increased levels of like non-conformist fashion evolving. Do you think that there's almost like too much of a shift potentially in the future to kind of like with woke marketing and kind of non-conformist? Do you feel like that may also have an other impact on kind of other groups within the consumer? Yeah, I don't think, I think like when people say things like woke marketing, I think they just get this negative yeah. trend that it's just for like very niche groups. But I think it's more about understanding that. Yeah. There's diversity in every kind of walk of life. Like mm-hmm. for so many years, for decades, like groups, certain groups of people were just not spoken to. They were just ignored. They had to fit into a mold of something that didn't fit them at all. And they had to like look for pockets or places to find themselves. And now they are finally being spoken to, finally celebrated. And it's to not it's not to say that, you know, these groups are kind of shadowing or taking over. No, yeah. they're given their space and their opportunity. And I think that's incredibly important. If you just look at the the makeup of of our mm-hmm. society, of our in every kind of country, you know, people are becoming a lot more diverse, and yeah. see that in our digital communities as well. It's really opening our eyes up to new cultures and um, new experiences, and the lives of different people in different areas of the world where before we may not have been exposed to that. And I think that's amazing. I think it only gives retailers and brands more opportunities mm-hmm. to be more creative to serve more people and to make a bigger impact both socially and economically as well. 
Totally. I feel like it's so enriching, right? And as you said, like the creativity of having so many more opportunities, so many more stories to tell, so many more Mm. people to shine a spotlight on, which is really exciting. And I think consumers, as you said, are craving that. And we've obviously spoken about dopamine dressing already on the podcast and kind of emerging as a trend from the pandemic. I recently actually wore a full pink outfit, which I probably would never have done pre-pandemic. I think my teammates were a bit shocked by my choices, knowing that normally I would normally, you know, go for the neutrals. And we obviously anticipate more people to dress in colorful outfits. So what is the link between our mood and the way we dress and, you know, what the impact is of color or patterns? Yeah, so dopamine dressing is is really just an extension of wearapy. So wearapy is... Wearapy, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's something I've been exploring a lot. So like wearapy is the practice of using your clothes as a tool to navigate your moods, to relieve like certain experiences of emotional distress. And, you know, global studies investigating wearapy have found that I think around 40% of people believe that certain outfit choices can make them feel more relaxed, can give them more confidence. I I think in the UK, there's about 60% of Brits believe that the way they dress can actually boost their mood and make them feel better about Mm -hmm. themselves. So, you know, when we are thinking about the tumultuous climate that we're in, things have been really challenging. Of course, like, you know, people are going to turn to easy solutions to make them feel better about themselves. And like you said, whipping on a pink dress that I can't think of an easier way to lift your mood. And it it does work. Like there's, it's been proven that when you, when you do look good and you feel confident and you're wearing something that you associate with vibrance and happiness that will make you feel better about yourself and then when it comes to colors I know some people do think that certain colors like Mm -hmm. you know bright pink or bright yellow like you need to wear that in order to experience dopamine dressing in order to feel happy and positive but it's not necessarily that straightforward you know dopamine dressing is all about association so I mentioned earlier about the theory of enclosed cognition and that essentially says that you know the attributes that we associate with specific clothes and specific colors those are incredibly powerful so when you wear certain colors of clothes that you associate with a particular feeling so if you associate pink with like happiness and joy then you're going to embody those traits when you wear it but that those feelings can be different for a different person for some people black might have those associations or gray or brown it's very different it's all about your personal perceptions and the associations that you have with these colors and with these styles Amazing. Yeah. No, I think as well, there's that like whole like red and sexy feeling as well. It's so interesting how it can kind of, it does like you have an association of a feeling with a color. But I guess as well, like another thing that's emerged from the pandemic, and this was in a Fashionista article, is that there were kind of two new groups that have emerged as like the dresser uppers and the dresser downers. (laughs) So I'd love to get your thoughts on like, is loungewear dead? (laughs) And kind of what ways has the mindset around fashion and clothes shifted due to the pandemic? And kind of is there a lasting impact on the fashion psyche? Yeah, I think loungewear, I don't, I don't think it's dead. I think the positive 
impact of comfort on our cognitive function. Mm -hmm. So our ability to focus, our ability to work smarter, because we are feeling like physically more comfortable, we're not bound by restrictive like workwear guidelines. I don't think that we will be bearing loungewear just yet. But what I do think we will start to see because, you know, as humans, we do crave novelty. I think we'll see more elevated loungewear pieces. So like hybrid outfits. So, you know, the hoodies and jeans, the leggings and the blazers, maybe loungewear pieces in different, more vibrant colours. I think we'll start to see fun meet comfort and creativity. And in general, when we're looking at the pandemic, you know, I mentioned this before, I think it's really caused a shift in the way that people engage with their clothing. So lockdowns has forced us to stay indoors. So there's been that lack of social feedback. And by that, I mean, you know, you're not really... You don't really get a chance to look at other people to influence your sense of dress, you know, like, you know, not looking at dress codes, not looking at like, you know, your external environment. It's more about yourself, how close you feel and less about their aesthetic value. And I think this is something that will persist post pandemic. You know, there's been campaigns like when I offered some insights to Sainsbury's, that campaign was all about, you know, you want to feel good in your clothing, like no matter, no matter what it is, like that's kind of the main point of getting dressed now is to make sure that you feel good because that's the only reason you need to be getting dressed. You don't really have to fit into some sort of mold. Like you don't, you don't have nowhere to go that's definitely something that people will not be able to shake for a long time I think people are finally given power to take control of what they want and they're given the time and the freedom to dress in a way that Mm -hmm. really reflects their needs and their desires and yeah that's something that's incredibly incredibly powerful I'm really excited to see this shift take place post-pandemic whenever that is yeah no I agree I love that like concept of just having the freedom to dress how you would like you know the fact that I said this on an earlier podcast but like you know maybe in 2019 I would never have gone to the office like wearing leggings and like loungewear Mm -hmm. I would have felt like I had to kind of dress appropriately for the office and for work but you know I feel liberated to be able to do that now you know I value the comfort element and that's really important to me so And kind of, I guess, this concept of reinvention, you know, I think we've heard people talking about emerging from lockdown, emerging from the pandemic. You know, do you think people want to reinvent themselves and kind of emerge the other side as a a different being? Yeah, I think even more than wanting to reinvent themselves, I think just people want to have a sense of power. I think a lot of the pandemic has really realized that we don't have a lot of power. We don't have control. <laughs> like you can plan something so in advance and it can just be taken from you. And yeah. like and you can, it can just be gone in a second. I think people, that's what people want. I think, you know, when we think about the relationship that we have with our clothing, it really affects the way we view ourselves in kind of three main areas. So, you know, the person we want to be now, the person we hope to be in the future and the person we fear to be and studies have shown that the relationship that we have with our clothing it's ultimately enjoyable because it helps us navigate between these like three different versions of ourselves so I think that's what people will be looking into now really you know getting that sense of power and just trying to find this new version of themselves in this new reality and using their clothing to help them do so. Amazing. And and kind of with that concept, you know, with power and, and wanting to kind of grab a hold of that, do you see the certain categories dominating in the coming months? Yeah, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I think jewellery, I think that's something mm. that will be continuing to dominate. I think, you know, there's a level of uncertainty still with the pandemic, but something that can, because there's something that, you know, you can throw on, it works well in the Zoom, it works well in real life, you yeah. know, fun. <laughs> 
accessories. They can be a talking point. And, you know, there's a lot of sentimental value attached with jewellery. And I think the pandemic has caused people to be a lot more sentimental, a lot more emotional. So I think fun accessories will definitely be something that will kind of push the dopamine trend to continue on in the pandemic. Totally. I guess it's a way to wear colour and to, you know, engage in that trend as well. Sometimes when people don't have the confidence to wear a full outfit that's bright yellow, Mm -hmm. for example. But Shakela, one thing we ask all of our (laughs) guests on the podcast is, what is the one thing you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? One thing I would say practice therapy. you know, your clothing choices, they're not frivolous. They can have like a lasting impact on the way you feel about yourself, the way that you're able to navigate your current circumstances. It can help you harken back to, you know, simpler, better times. It can help you feel more confident about your future, you know, really take stock into mm-hmm. what you are wearing every day. What you wear is a choice and every choice has consequences and action. So it's the same for your clothes. So don't think that it's something that you can you know kind of engage in like a mindless fashion really take stock in what you're wearing and own it and I think you'll see that there'll be a lot of positive results when you start to make more conscious decisions about what you wear I love that that is amazing (laughs) a great way to end thank you so much for coming on I've really really enjoyed the conversation I think it's been so interesting to hear about the different side of fashion Thank you so much for having me, Grace. Like I had a really great conversation. Thank you. As a listener of ours, we are here to help you throughout 2021. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, ensure you're subscribed to our insider briefing. You can sign up at edited.com where we'll be keeping you all updated on the latest news and strategies. And if you've enjoyed today's conversation with Shakela, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with future episodes. And please tell your friends or family about us. We would absolutely love it. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Have a great day. Bye.